Good morning. This morning's scripture reading will be from Genesis 1. That's Genesis 1, 31 through Genesis 2, 3. Again, Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Well, we continue Moses' account of creation. Moses' account of this early work First work, really, of God this morning by coming to day seven, day seven of creation. This morning, we take this really short passage. You heard that Lauren just read. You've heard it before. As we hear that short passage and we get to day seven, there's a temptation to feel like that it was just an add-on, just kind of something tagged on at the end, a throwaway after so much activity in these first six days. Then he rests on day seven. You might be thinking, okay, well, God did all this great creation. He finished it and took a nap, right? <laughs> he just stopped. Show's over. I'm stepping back to take a break. Good luck with this creation, everybody. I need some rest. Temptation with a short little passage like that. But that's not an accurate picture at all of what's taking place here in this day seven. This morning, I want you to think of uh, the satisfaction you get from completing a great project or, or task or job that you've had to do. Something that took the sweat of your brow or a lot of brain power or maybe kids studying for some big test or a project that you had to get done. When you finally finish it or hit print on something and it's done, it's completed. Or if it was a project when you finally put away all your tools away and clean up and it's done, you're like, ah, okay, it's done. Or a, a great feast, Thanksgiving's coming up. The great feast, you know the work in preparing that. When you finally sit down at the table together as a family, that feeling of completion, that feeling of satisfaction when you know all your hard work was worth it, when you see what it produced, the finished product was worth it. That's the kind of thought I want us to have today, the, the feeling or satisfaction, that picture in our mind when we look at God's rest. Because on the completion of that great project of creation, God ceases from his work and enters into rest, the passage says. And it's upon entering into this rest that God establishes the purpose, the purpose of rest, of creation, even the purpose of creation, excuse me, and the pattern of rest for his people. The purpose and the pattern from Israel all the way to the church. So this morning we're going to look at three types of rest. God's rest. Israel's rest, his people, and our rest, the church. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it there. We're going to begin with where everything should begin. Where is that? With 
God, yeah. We're going to begin with God. So let's take a look. God's rest is the ceasing from creation and the enjoyment and celebration of what he has made. Well, this morning, as you heard Lauren read, we we went back up into chapter 1 into verse 31 there. We went back up into chapter 1 because verse 1 of chapter 2 is such a tie-in to chapter 1 and all those active days of creation. It goes with chapter 1. Take a look at the two verses. In the beginning, the first verse of chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 of chapter 2 starts, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. They're like two bookends. You're like, why does it start to chapter 2? That's kind of odd. It should be in 1. It really should be. Uh, They're like two bookends of creation. You get the sense of completion at the beginning of chapter 2. And without verse 31 connecting those, which is why we went back today, you miss the sense of, of, of divine, perfect, harmonious satisfaction that God got out of creation. Take a look at verse 31 in the middle of those two there. With his work, you see it popping up. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You you miss that sense of if we left out 31 today of this whole project, the bookend of it from start to completion. Can you imagine completing this project? What did you do last week? Yeah, I hung the sun and moon and all the stars. And created a little thing called humanity. What a project. And it's perfect. It's so good. So good, verse 31 says. In many ways, that was the purpose of creation. So God could enter into rest as he takes up the helm of creation guides it as he ceases from creating. Yes, creation was, as we've been talking about, it was set up for us to be welcomed into. We've been talking about that. But even more, it's as if God sets up creation to be his temple in which he will rest, in which he will work, in which he will act in this great temple of creation. So Isaiah 66, 1 gives us this sense. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What's the house that you would build for me? And what's the place of my rest? It's as you get this picture Isaiah gives us that God created creation to be his temple, to be his footstool, to be his throne, the heavens and the earth. So let's look at the text to understand God's rest and, and the seventh day of creation. We know it's not a throwaway day just by looking at the differences from the other six days. It's pointed out as I was reading this week by a commentator, Kenneth Matthews. He said, These, here are some of the differences. There's no corresponding day like the other days. Remember, we had the days that matched. One and three, two and four, five and six. They matched. Seven, there's no corresponding day, is there? It stands apart. There's no creation formula in day seven. And God said, let there be. That's not in day seven either. Or the closing phrase that all the other days had. There was evening and morning. Seventh day? It's not there. It's the only day also that's blessed. The day itself is blessed and made holy. Look at verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he'd done in creation. 
And if you look at the original Hebrew, we're not going to do, but it's really amazing. It's three lines of poetry, and seventh day is mentioned three times, and it's mentioned in the exact word order right in the middle of those lines each time, if we were to look at it that way. Is it a throwaway day? It's not. In fact, Moses took really special care to make it stand out to us with all these things I just mentioned. Where humankind was the crown of creation, day seven becomes the crown on top of those six days of creation. It's, it's humanity's ultimate destiny, God's ultimate destiny. Rest. Rest. And don't you know that in your heart? Rest. That there's this divine rest that we lost in the garden and you want it back. This is not slothfulness or laziness. We're not talking about that kind of Lazy rest, but a, a perfect peace. Shalom, the Bible calls it. So we must ask then, why did God rest? And what is it for us? Why did God rest? He wasn't tired. He wasn't tired. It's not as if God finished running a you know, marathon and he collapsed the finish line. That's not our God. He's all powerful. God is never depleted in his strength or in his character or in his resources. He didn't run out of of gas right at the finish line. That's not the God of the Bible. The word rest here as it's used actually means to cease, to stop, to, to, to stop something. So God finished creation and ceased creating is kind of what the verse is saying. And when he does that, it's not like he stops working as if he wound up creation like some clock and then steps back. I made it. It's perfect. I'll be back in 10,000 years. I got to go rest. It's not that kind of picture we get. I mean, even Jesus knew that even God the Father continued to work even as he entered into rest on the seventh day after creation when they were accusing Jesus of working on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath law, which came from day seven rest. Here's what he said. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now. And I am working, he said. So it must not be that God just ceases all activity when he stops creating or that he's tired. When God enters his rest on that seventh day, he's achieved a, a stable, perfect cosmos. And now he's going to enter the helm, as I've already said, and rule it as the sovereign creator as the one who made it, the ruler of the cosmos, this God. That's what he ceases creation to do in that rest. Psalm 104 gives us the same sense of God working and ruling through creation. Here it is. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. It's God working in and through creation even after it's made. In fact, if God ceased working, if it really meant like he just, just checked out after creation, this world would dissolve, I believe. I mean, atoms would just fly apart. It wouldn't hold together. It would, it would just tear at the seams, I believe. 
In Him we live and move and have our being. Access. In Him all things hold together, Colossians says. Like a fabric. He's holding together as He enters in to rest. God's rest was the satisfaction, the pleasure that He got out of creation and that He had with His creation. The fellowship of that pleasure with with Adam and Eve, the first humans we're going to get to in a couple weeks. The pleasure He had in the relationship with them. You know, Genesis records that God would, do you know this? Walk in the garden with them. How does a non-physical spiritual being do that? I don't know. That's another question. But he did it. It says, it described it that way, that he walked in the garden with them in perfect, restful peace in the garden. That's how it started. That's God entering into his rest. This was the purpose of creation, for God to enter into this rest with his creation. And by blessing day seven, you see it there, the seventh day, a day that has no end. Did you catch that? All the others do. Day seven just doesn't have an end. There's no, at the end of the day, this is evening and morning, the seventh day. He blesses day seven and he sets it apart as holy, verse three says. He's signifying, showing us, telling us, Moses is, that communion with God is absolutely spiritual and necessary to be fruitful, to live the life that you were meant to live. You know, the other two blessings in creation, and there's two others, there's three in creation, the other two were on animals and humans that brought about the blessing of uh, fertility. Here it is. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. This blessing's on a day. So here this blessing of a day must mean that spiritual fruitfulness, rejuvenation, life is found with God in this rest. Purpose, wholeness, peace, the richness, the the, the security your heart desires is found in this rest with God. Adam would work and rest with God. God set up this pattern. We'll talk about it uh, next week or two. God would work, or God would, Adam would work, and then rest, work and rest. And it was this perfect, eternal rhythm and cycle that would go on and on as Adam would work and find his wholeness and his being and his purpose in this rest with God. Here's what Ken Hughes called the day. He said, the seventh day is one of perpetual spring. There's that fullness, fruitfulness. A day of multiplication and fruitfulness. This would become of great importance and benefit to God's people. Why is it so important? Because you and I need rest, don't we? We need rest. We were made that way. And I'll add to that, perpetual spring ended, didn't it? When sin entered the garden. Perpetual spring was broken. Fatigue, frustration, the depletion you feel and deep in your bones. Pain suffering. There were no more peaceful walks with God in the garden. It was toil and painful work and death. We need rest. But we also have trouble resting, don't we? (laughs) We need it, but we have trouble with it too. How many of you feel guilty, my hand's already up, setting aside time that doesn't feel productive, 
or getting things done in the, maybe the traditional sense of providing and getting things done. Maybe for, I see two hands in the back. <laughs> family, or doing, getting things done for family or work or life. How many of you who do work have trouble not checking email on your phone? I mean, that's a really common. It's there. It's, you can look at it. Or turning off your mind from work stuff and being present actually with those you love, family and friends. As we image God, part of that image pattern is work and rest. Work and rest. Workaholism, it's called. It's one of the only honorable sins, isn't it? Because his work is good. It's from God. It's part of the cultural mandate we're going to see that's given to Adam in a couple weeks. And it provides for our family. It's good. But work without rest is idolatry. It's wrong. To work without rest is to make work into something it was never meant to be. Remember we talked about imaging our identity, where it comes from, like a mirror last couple weeks? It's finding too much of that image, that identity in work. It's good, yes, but it was never meant to be or everything. And when we do that, it feeds the lie of our human hearts that we love to believe, I am self-sufficient. I got this. I've got it all in my hands. I've got it all under control. I can do this. Until we burn out, right? <laughs> Hit a wall, have a nervous breakdown. What makes us think? We've got to think about this. What makes you and I think that we are above rest when God makes time for it? God, at the end of the creation story. We've got to sit with that. You've got to think that today. You need to ponder that. So what he does, he makes sure that we know it's important. He makes sure that his people know we need it by taking the seventh day of rest and what he does with it for his people Israel. Let's look at them. Israel's Sabbath is a covenant sign, becomes that, to celebrate creation and redemption. So God has this seventh day and it becomes something else as he begins to make a people. Generations later now, after creation, the seventh day is brought to the foreground. Do you remember? Moses ascends Mount Sinai in this cloud of glory. God descends to the mountain. And he's there. He's creating a people. This is what God's doing. He's made creation. Now he's creating a people. And he wants them to remember his creative his saving, his redeeming powers that he has. And so, the seventh day becomes the fourth commandment. Here, let's take a look at it. Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath, that's a rest or that seventh day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Here's creation. It's connected to creation the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The people of God on that day were to completely cease from work. It was a lot unto them. And on those days, trust God with that day and all the productivity they were going to let go on that day. 
to trust Him and observe it as a day of spiritual health and fruitfulness. And you saw it connected to creation even in the commandment here. It was absolutely essential for their survival. And it even becomes a sign, a signal, he says, of of, of the covenant God makes with them. Remember, covenant is that agreement between two parties. And when the tabernacle was built and God's restful presence took up residence there in the tabernacle, in Exodus 31, God tells them, you must keep the Sabbath and it will serve as a sign of my forever covenant with you. My forever agreement, the Sabbath. My agreement to be your God and you my people. And I will take care of you and I will watch over you. It's a covenant. It was a grace to them. It was a grace. Compulsory rest, you might say. It showed them that life is more than work. Life is more than work. So God says it's going to be a sign of the covenant. You'll practice it forever. This compulsory rest. And when you slow down, your mind will be drawn towards me, God says. You know, growing up, I can remember Sunday afternoons. Sunday afternoons after church, we had this compulsory nap time. (laughs) Compulsory rest time. Probably just for the sanity of my parents. More than anything with three boys in the house. Uh, Go to your room. Not, Not in trouble, but go to your room. Rest on your bed. Stay there. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. Forced to go to my room, lay down on a Sunday afternoon. I'd lay there and I'd squirm. My mind, I don't need this. Why am I here? I don't need this. I don't need this nap. A few minutes, what happened? I was out. I'd be out. I would lay there thinking, what is my mom thinking? And then all of a sudden, I'd be asleep. I was out. I needed it. My parents and their wisdom gave me a compulsory blessing. Maybe you're like, some of you are like, I'll, I'll take a compulsory nap right now. <laughs> my parents knew I needed it. God meant it. He said, I'm your God, you're my people. Set aside a day compulsory to remind yourself of these things. You need it. We get, you know it, we're like hamsters in a wheel sometimes, aren't we? You, you just get so spinning your wheels that you know, a thought of God is just, or sometimes a thought of others. You're just so set on our, what we got to get done to do or our stuff. He meant it. And when they practiced the Sabbath, Israel, now God's people, it was to bring their minds back to creation. As Exodus 20, as we read that, all of God's work, to think about it, to remember that it's His, to remember that He's in charge of it, helps you step away from work when you think about God's sovereign control over every atom. Can you step away for a moment? Celebrating God's work in eternity, away from the day-to-day grind He was calling His people calling us up and outside of ourselves to God's time, eternity, and the mystery of the creating world. Don't you need that? It's the reason you go look outside. We already talked about creation, how it impacts us. You look out the beauty of it. Those of you who were out hunting last weekend or going out or driving by the waterfalls or even out in your field or out just walking through Canby, looking at the beautiful flowers. We just get it. You see it. You know it. You need it. I get so caught up, and maybe you do too, in my little 
tiny, claustrophobic kingdom of me. And God says, take a day. Life is bigger than that. Life is bigger than just you and me. Contemplate, listen, look, pray. Life is bigger than you. God sits on the throne of the cosmos. Take a step back from your day-to-day grind. That's what, that's, does that matter? That, yeah, that's important. They were to remember creation. Second thing was this. They would remember their redemption on this day. They're saving their redemption, creation and redemption. You see them there on point two. That's the second thing. How quickly we forget this too. In the busyness of life to stop and remember the gospel. That is why every Sunday I hope you hear me say something about Jesus, something about the cross, something about his work, something about the gospel, because we have gospel amnesia, don't we? We have saving amnesia, and God's people did too. All the Old Testament, what's the word? Remember, 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 remember. It must mean because they forget. Remember. What has Jesus done for us? Here's the question. In, in your problems, how frequently do you ask, what does my salvation have to do with this? How does the cross help me with my empty bank account? How does the gospel help me forgive my coworker? How does the gospel help me find the freedom, actually, and the permission to rest? How should my love for Jesus direct my relationships? Do we do that? Do I ask myself that? The Israelites needed this same reminder. We're no different than them. Here's in Deuteronomy 5, he connects it to this Sabbath, to this saving. You shall remember, there's the word, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Do you remember? And the Lord your God brought you out from there. He redeemed you, saved you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. There's the connection. Saving to Sabbath. Sabbath to redemption. He makes it for them. It was a grace. It was a grace of God to be commanded, to be reminded of creation and salvation. Step away from yourself. Your self-focus, your needs that drive the other six days of your week and realize what you truly need on day seven. And what is that? God. God. The God of creation. The God of saving. Your body, your soul needs this Israelite. So look to that rest and that God took in Genesis. The rest that God took in Genesis to rest your body and soul. To rest. Line up with God's rhythms, he was saying to his people. His rhythms of creation, of work, of rest, of work and rest. Celebrate him as creator and redeemer. That's what we do every Sunday when we gather. So we talk about the gospel so much. It was a blessing to the Israelites. As they were commanded, compulsory, commanded to rest. And so many Christians have pondered throughout the centuries since, that time of the Israelites, is it still binding? Is the fourth commandment still binded on us like a a, a law, like the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath? This is one of those where there's different views and opinions. I mean, do I have to set aside a 24-hour day from sunset to sunrise to do absolutely nothing? 
Well, let's look at our rest to answer that question. Here's the third one, our rest. Our rest is trusting in the finished work of Jesus in our present and future. So is the Sabbath a law for us? I mean, we would say the rest of the Ten Commandments still apply, wouldn't we? Thou shalt not murder, commit adultery, or lie. But I think that actually, if that's the question we're asking, it's the wrong question. That's actually the wrong question. If you and I have to be reminded, coerced, commanded, forced to remember that God wants to spend time with you in your everyday life, and in the particular Sunday church gathering of God's people, the Sabbath has ceased to function in the way God intended it to in your life. If we've got to be forced, compulsory, coerced into it, commanded into to, to returning to our maker and the source of our life, I mean, it's asking the wrong question. It ceased to function as it, as it should. It's a gift to us. It's a gift to us. That's why Jesus said this, In Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, a blessing, a grace, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. We're not going to spend a lot of time. See what he's doing there? The very same thing God did in day 7. He's blessing it. He's setting it apart. It's kind of interesting. Total rabbit trail. We're not going to go there, but I want to point it out. He's blessing it, and he's setting it apart just like God did in day 7. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. If you turn the Sabbath into a forced Sunday afternoon nap, you've missed the purpose. You've missed the purpose of it. John Walton said in his commentary, it's the way we acknowledge that God's on the throne, that this is his world, that our time is his gift to us. It's big picture time, he called it. It's not a rule, keep the Sabbath. It's a grace. It's a mercy. It's a grace. God's not a nasty taskmaster up there. He's a God that has your greatest needs in his forefront. Imagine a man getting down on one knee to propose. He's been waiting for this day. It's the love of his life. He's been practicing the words in his mind. He's set up the date. They're there. He's got the ring. His hands are getting all clammy. He's there, he's been practicing, he's got these romantic words, this sincere, sincere expression from the heart, and he gets down on one knee and he asks, and she says, yes, yes, of course, I love you, yes. Now imagine if he stood up right then and said, great, now I know you've got a busy life, I've got a busy life, you're not going to put a bunch of rules for me and infringe on my time and, 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 and ask me to set aside a lot of my own stuff for you, Right? Answer might change that quick, but you can imagine that. It's, it's absurd, right? It's silly. It's absurd. But a lot of times, isn't this how we treat God and the rest He wants us to find by spending time with Him? By the time we get to the New Testament, God's people have failed to enter this rest. They failed miserably with this call to rest. It had become for a lot of them an empty rule. Something just to check off on a to-do that became a work in and of itself. And our hearts, we know as even as they failed it, our hearts still feel some kind of restlessness, don't they? 
We work and we work and we strive and we strive to feel good about ourselves or chase away those nagging restlessness, the voices that say, you're not good enough. You don't do enough. Look at your track record. Look at the resume of your life, those voices that do haunt us. This is how you use the time God gives you? Oh, I hear those voices. The writer of the book of Hebrews, in chapters 3 and 4, makes the case that God's people, they were frustrated. They were disobedient. They couldn't enter that rest through Moses that was promised. They couldn't get it from Joshua, the next leader. That rest and peace we so desperately need and want that God promised. And the writer went on to say, that rest can only be entered through belief and faith. But the frustration that they had with Joshua, the frustration they had with Moses, do you know it goes back even further in time? Genesis 3 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool garden, or the garden in the cool of the day, saying, Where are you? Where are you? God had come looking for them. And where were they, do you know? Hiding. They were hiding. The rest and communion with God that was the entire purpose of creation had been lost. He comes looking, where are you? The problem was sin. The problem was that although they missed, they missed those walks with God, they wanted so much more to go out on their own, to make it on their own through their own work. The eating of that tree we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Yeah, they missed the walk in the garden, but they wanted to go out on their own that much more, the eating of that tree. This table shows us that rest is available. Again, do you know that? This table shows us that God in Jesus Christ came back walking through the garden, didn't he? He came back walking through the garden to look for us. Where are you? And the rest that he gives us is now an eternal rest from striving to work our way back to those walks we lost in the garden. An eternal rest. And these elements, they point to the real-time body, physical body, that Jesus took on to walk with us. New Testament looks forward to that ultimate spiritual rest, the writer of Hebrews. That rest that Moses could never bring, that Joshua could never bring, that David couldn't bring, and it was promised to David, another will bring it. Jesus has become your rest, your peace, your harbor. Here's what the writer said of Hebrews. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's us. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united to this rest by what? Work? Faith. Faith alone with those who listen. The Sabbath rest is available to us, but it's 
only entered through faith, through trust in Jesus Christ. Hearing the, the, the beneficial words of the gospel and the words of this table and placing not just faith, but trust, the entire weight of your life upon Jesus' work. Not on your own work, but the work of Jesus. That's the gospel. Repenting of even your own works and your sin and, and turning from your work to Jesus' work and entering his rest. Do you know there was another tree? Not just a garden tree. It was another tree. It was a tree that Jesus was hung on. And do you know what the last words were on that tree? It is finished. That's rest. The work is done. It is finished. He ceased, didn't he? He ceased there. And what did he do? Same thing God did. He entered in as the ruler of creation in that moment. Jesus was hung on that tree in body, the, the body that had just been walking with his disciples, nailed to that tree, and his blood was spilled for us. And he said, it's finished. Day seven rest is restored back to us. It's resting from your work and trusting in Jesus. I want us to take a couple moments as our deacons and our servers prepare to serve communion to ask the Lord to give you rest, to show himself to you in the work that Jesus did and, and give you the trust in heart to believe that when he said it's finished, he really meant it and it was enough. As we take a couple moments of silence to confess before the Lord, to speak to the Lord, to pray to the Lord, I want to remind that, that when the Lord sets up this table, he sets it up for those who could say today, I've absolutely placed in my rest and my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. He calls it a family meal. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense if you can't call yourself as one of the family members today to take of this table. In fact, it would be wise to let it pass today. It's not a judgment on you. It's not anybody looking down the aisle to see who's taking and who isn't. But it's just said by the Lord. Let it pass if it's not you today. But take that time to ask the Lord, to speak to the Lord, to come and find your rest in Him. Let's take a few moments in silent contemplation.